Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price, and for today's episode, I am joined by Michelle Cox. Michelle, thank you for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing well. It's Friday, so not too much to complain about. Hey, you know what? It's always nice when the weekend is near. We do appreciate you taking some time to come with us, come on the show and talk with us today. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about uh, is what it is that you are doing with your career now. So we're going to get into that in a, in a quick second, but just on the topic of like diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, can you just briefly explain for people who might not be aware, what exactly is that? And, you know, like how does it incorporate to what you are doing? Yeah. So I've been doing diversity, equity, inclusion, more specifically anti-racism work for quite a while. And I would say that deeply steers my, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. But historically, diversity, equity, and inclusion kind of was born out of organizations or institutions wanting to avoid getting sued for discrimination, right? So they were like, oh, now we have to like treat everyone equally, equally, we have to equal um, opportunity to employment, we just want to make sure we're not getting sued for this. So I think there's been a progression and a growth within the DEI community to, of course, like specifically focus on most vulnerable communities and race and kind of be more active. Whereas historically, like it was birthed from people wanting to avoid liability for doing something wrong. Um, I think it's morphed into something more than that. Uh, the work that I do is is definitely trying to leave all of that in the dust and do more of a focus around anti-racism, centering people of color, other historically marginalized groups of folks within the workplace to create better situations, create more opportunities. And once they're in that workplace that they want to go into, creating a space where they feel included, valued, recognized for who they are and what they contribute, and that that diversity really fuels creativity it fuels you being able to provide better services or a better product and so trying to create a system internally so that way people who are historically have to show up to work and be a different person you know code switch or do whatever else can exist in a space where they are fully and wholly themselves um in a way that sometimes the workplace like and quote unquote professionalism asks us to not do at all. Yeah. Okay. So the company that you started is called Coequity. Mm -hmm. So what exactly, you know, like does the company do and why was this like person something that you felt the need to start? Yeah. Well, I first, I think another reason I've always been interested in how we can interrupt systems and like bring more hum humanness into the workplace and, and into how we live life, right? Like you can name some other countries where it's like living first and then work. Um, and so I've always kind of put my life and what enriches me and makes me feel happy and feel good first might be a symptom of some of my ADHD chasing dopamine, but also because I'm like, I have one life to live. So 
if I can take the time off and go do this thing with my friend when I could afford it or what have you, I'm going to do that thing. And so I think that's always fueled me to want to do this. It's slow working to get change internally within a workplace that uplifts the values I have for myself um, and that I in the ways that I want to live my life. Right. I have always been someone who mostly follows the rules, but definitely questions authority in a way. So it kind of removed the barriers to, for me to say, yeah, I'm going to, you know, next week, take a week off and go see my best friend, even though I just took a week before. So kind of the flexibility of entrepreneurship was something that was intriguing to me. Also being able to kind of build something fully encompassing the values that I hold and, and just be able to be a little flexible in how I meet the needs of my clients. Um, Co-equity, I don't know when or how the name came to me. I just was like, I need to register a name so I can go like do the like logistical things, like yeah. get the QuickBooks, get the business account, all this stuff. And I was wondering, you know, I didn't want it to like be my name. Like I would love for Co-equity to live to be something outside of myself in the future. Um, but for now, that's kind of where it's living. And so I kind of wanted to incorporate that. I'm engaged. So I was like, I might not even have my last name. Um, so is it weird to have that? It, you know, all these things. And I wanted to it to be a little clear-ish what work I was doing. Um, so I thought the CO from the front of my name, and it also aligned with, with a lot of words I was thinking in relationship to how I wanted to show up. I have on my website, like co-conspirator, collaborator, I'm thinking community. And so those words all starting with the CO really for me are encompassed in that co and equity. Um, and equity being, you know, one of the core values, diversity, equity, and inclusion, justice, anti-racism, uh, the vision that um, we want for the world, right? What we want to achieve and then consulting. And I had to, uh, I think when I Googled, there was like an equity firm, like they do equity in terms of like money or finances. And there's like, so there's a co-equity firm for that. So I had to, adding the consulting, especially, um, I had to do for trademark purposes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know, there's always always a reason for all these things. Yeah. You know, DEI training seems to be getting um a bad rap amongst certain people, especially in the media sphere. I've heard about this. I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper into the episode, but specifically, uh, besides how the media portrays it, like why do you believe that this training is important? You know, like within a workplace, like why do you think more people need to be aware of all of this and you know, is it, is it vital? Do you believe? Yes, I, it's vital for a few different reasons that are pretty close to my heart specifically. One is deepening your self-awareness in any regard, whether it's like awareness of how you feel about your body or, you know, your relationship to money or all these things, your relationship to other people and to our society and to different communities is such a core part of that. And you cannot be kind of like deeply aware of self and your experiences and how that impacts how you move through the world, how you move through the workplace without grappling with your relationship to racism, white supremacy, heteropatriarchy, um, all of these things, right? So I think in that piece where I'm someone who really loves therapy and like picking apart everything about myself, um, the, toe the line on how healthy that is sometimes, but it's to me really, really core to um, 
self-awareness and, and a competency in 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 self-awareness the other piece i think that's really important is that it's so core and crucial to our history as americans right and throughout the world but i'll focus my degree is in american history in african-american history and so you can't fully understand the history of america without having the intricate details about what was happening for black folks and other people of color in the united states at that time and now we're in you know 2022 and we had movements like in 2020 with uh the murder of brianna taylor and george floyd and i think of when i was deeply activated was in, in like 2014 with the murder of eric garner and michael brown right and so it is deeply important to understand these pieces so we can kind of know why we are where we are today and that it's not an accident. It was like very uniquely and specifically designed to operate this way. So when we can like couple the history with kind of like the deeper reflection, I think we show up as better people, better like humans in whatever your workplace is, um, whatever you wanna do in the world or just engaging with people who aren't like yourself. So for me it's a core part of like my identity and the and the ways i want to show love and compassion for other humans in this world hey that totally makes sense to me and it's a shame that it's become such a politically divisive topic which is you know one of the reasons why i wanted to bring you on and talk to you about this obviously this being a political podcast we're going to get into the politics of dei but before we do all of that we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to have more with Fashela. stay tuned hey indie thought listeners has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side well then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode bathing beauties beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown missoula whether it's seed beads semi-precious stones vintage beads or just materials to make a project they have something for every person and every price range not from missoula don't worry they have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you whether you're a beginner or a pro they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality you can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com.
Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before the break, I was mentioning how, you know, this is a political podcast. Obviously, we talk about some of the politics involved with DEI. You know, unfortunately, I've been seeing too much scapegoating going on when it comes around this topic. And kind of given that a little bit, you know, has it been challenging for you at all to find businesses to work with you? Or has it been like more easy because people are kind of sympathetic to some of the constant attacks that you're seeing in the media? Like, how has it been for you trying to find people to partner with over the last, well, I guess the course of the last couple of years while you've been doing this work? Yeah. Well, I think since 2020, we saw like our national consciousness just get sparked in regards to race, racism in a big way, in a way that I felt impacted, say, in like 2014, right? Yeah. Just perspectives. But there was something very unique about 2020 in that I think we started to see more institutions, businesses, organizations start to orient themselves in the DEI space and in the in towards anti-racism. Like they started to make it more of a personal mission. And that's because what was happening is their workforce, right? The people who work for them are were becoming really, really activated, right? Doing their, whether it was good activism or not, they were posting a black square or yeah. reposting something on Instagram. And we can go into what that all is at a different time, but people were starting to engage in anti-racism work in a really different way. So they were starting to hold their companies accountable saying, hey, if we say we value diversity and we value inclusion, or you know, we value community, integrity, whatever your values are for your organization, well, then we should be leaning into this because these things aren't separate, right? Um, and to treat it as a separate thing that's happening outside of the workplace is doing more harm than good. So a lot of folks who came to us was because of that, was because, you know, an executive director or the CEO was saying, I don't know how to talk to my staff about this. I really value it. To me, it's inherently integrated into the values or the mission vision we have in our organization, but it's not clear, right? And it wasn't clearly stated. And a lot of folks within an organization were looking for that to be clearly stated. Some people were loving the separation of what was happening outside the organization versus inside. But I think the majority of, of individuals, what I saw throughout Montana, wanted their organizations to express and live up to those values in alignment with racial equity and justice. So we saw an uptick in increase to do this work in Montana. And I think people didn't really know what they didn't know or what they should have had, what they should have been doing or not. And during this time, so much national discourse, people were like, oh, we should do like an assessment. We should do more training past our onboarding or past implicit bias. And so organizations were kind of more aware of, of of the services they could ask for to right. have the work done. Um, so that's what I saw there and have not seen it. it. I mean, it was a crazy, it was a, excuse me, wild uptick in inquiries during that time. Like I, I was on uh, video calls from, you know, I think I started my work day at like 9 a.m. to 5 and I, before I figured out, you know, we were all kind of new to the Zoom world at the time that like that's really unhealthy and not good i was just in back-to-backs for the entire day hour-long conference and then i was like wait let me do 30 minutes and i could still be in back-to-backs like just weeks of just video or video um you know consultations with folks yeah so 
so it's died down in comparison to what it was that first year. And I remember that same year I was in the Cornell like certification for diversity professionals. They have like this big Sorry. certification course. And um, that was around the time that Donald Trump issued the executive order, right? It was like September of 2020. And so I'm on this call. I'm working for like grassroots nonprofit in Montana. We are coming from a very different space than some folks who were there who worked for the DOJ or, or worked for Google or Apple or what have you, right? So we had to have really serious conversations about what shifts in our approach to this work when you can't name you know, colorblind or privilege or, you know, white privilege or implicit bias. And really what it comes down to is like those got created into dog whistles. And because of that, we just you just change what you say a little bit. Right. You just we just use different terms because there's different terms for all of it with the same end goal. Um, but what's interesting and we get that I've gotten this pushback with clients where, you know, folks who are who don't understand or don't see themselves in this work, right? Yeah. The equity inclusion at its core is like not linked to politics. It's their values, right? Their values of us wanting to provide opportunities for folks so that they have what they need to be successful, right? Like, and that everyone has access to equal opportunities. Like that is the core tenant of like our country right although we know we contradict that in all the ways so i think in some ways diversity equity inclusion anti-racism racial equity is trying to bring us into who the united states and who we as like americans and people who live here like can be if we were actually going to live up to like some of the best ideals that we have as a nation and so i people tend to bring their politics into their view or into their values, right? Like if I value equity, depending on what my, like what my politics are, I can bring politics into that from any perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and then of course that comes into their view and that impacts the workplace. No one has ever called the EEOC. So that's the Equal Opportunity Employment um, Commission. No one's ever called them political, right? They protect employees' rights against, and, and they protect employees against harassment, against retaliation for the protected classes, right? Like women, uh, women, especially women who are pregnant, folks with disabilities, uh, race, gender, all those things. But when we're talking about equity, all of a sudden everyone thinks we're being political, but equity is like wrapped up in equal opportunity employment, right? And this is a commission that operates and does much of the same things that we're pushing for, I would say is the biggest difference we see here is where we're thinking about equal versus equity. And that's where we, or equality versus equity. And I think that's where we lose some folks, right? Bootstrap theory, equal, yeah, everyone gets the same thing, same playing field. We're okay with that. We feel more comfortable with that because that doesn't actually ask us to be aware of how history has impacted where we are currently, generational wealth, any of that. Equal. We're all equal. You all get the same things. Treat everybody equal. When we're looking at equity, we're asking folks to say, okay, what does Desmond need versus Michelle? What's our background? What do you need to be successful in the workplace? And it could be something as seemingly simple as um, you just have a more introverted working style. And so how a manager engages with you might be different than me. How we engage with each other might be different because I'm quite extroverted. You know, knowing your personality types, those pieces. 
at all the way to, okay, we're both black. However, I'm a woman. So in what cases am I impacted by misogynoir, which is uh, discrimination or misogyny against black women specifically? Um, and so equity is asking those questions. What do you need to uh, feel valued, uh, feel included within your institution? And what do I need? Because there might be a lot of similarities, right? And on those similarities, they can give us the equal equal footing. But there might be a lot of differences there too as well that we bring into that space, both historically and currently, that require you to need different things than I need. And so I think that's where folks get a little uncomfortable in it because we've been practicing equal opportunity employment and and some tenets of equity, right, to protect folks in these protected classes for a very long time. But it's it's not as beneficial to be talking about the EEOC as it is these wild progressive people who want everybody to have what they need. Like <laughs> it goes against all the bootstrap theory, right? Right. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's it's an interesting place to be right now because I, I feel like it is being demonized, you know, relentlessly. I I see it time and time again, and yeah, you know, I, I think one of the the boogeyman scenarios that people play is uh, they they talk about about like what happens in these trainings from like an outside perspective, and you know, I see this talking point sometimes on the news, and they're saying like, oh, they're just they're teaching people to hate white people, they're teaching you to feel guilty about yourself, they're you know, they're teaching you that, you know, like America is not a great country, blah, blah, blah. Like th th these are the, these are the caricatures that I think that are trying to like, you know, be incepted when we talk about this. What, you know, let's cut through that a little bit right now. What does it look like when you partner with a business? Like, how does that process actually play out? And what is it that you're trying to achieve when you are working with whatever company you're signed up with? I love, I absolutely love this question. This is so good because it, first of all, it makes me laugh um, because it's just silly. It's so silly. And like, who's walking into, okay, if you're an educator, one of like the core tenets of doing this work, educator organizer is empowerment. So like you need to feel empowered to make decisions for yourself that are in your best interest. And I want to help guide that. So that way we are um, not as, creating harm against like people of color, right? And so I'm never gonna go into a space and be like, so <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this gift, like all the white people to the back, immediately, <laughs> immediately. Like, you know, it's, um, you know, there are spaces and situations where if it's being led by black folks, there are times where, where white folks can sit back, listen, take in the knowledge and the expertise and the wisdom that's in that space. Montana organizations, that's not how I'm walking into that space because that's, I'm never walking into a space that has those kind of demographics. First of all, the kind of spaces I'm being invited into, or even in the first conversations, predominantly white organizations, whether they maybe have a couple people of color, they might have some LGBT plus folks um, or folks with like uh, other forms of diversity. And we wanna tease out how can you better serve your employees internally so you can better produce a, a better product so you can better serve your constituency that's my end goal and so how can each individual that's currently within your organization show up as their full selves i do assessments to tease that out so i'm never telling you 
about yourself. That's not, I, you know who you are and what you need better than I can know what you need. Empowerment again, right? So using uh, quantitative and qualitative analysis to tease out what our employees wanting, what are they needing, what are their experiences, never come in and assume that anybody has had any one experience. And so that's one piece. The other thing I do is center people of color if they even, even if it's five of them, right, in that interview process to say, I want to center whatever your experience has been within this organization and let your voice be heard because you're in the minority within this organization. How you are experiencing this space may not have um, been shared previously. I think the um, other thing that's really interesting for me there is that. No, I don't even do um, mandatory trainings, right? Like they're completely voluntary. Even, you know, I have the whole executive leadership team on board. You know, they might have an internal DEI team super on board. They want to do this training. It's really important. Everyone needs to go through it. And I still don't make it mandatory. Now, why? Because people need to feel empowered to show up and make this decision for themselves to start to create a connection to these values for themselves. It's something that they want to implement in their lives, both personally and professionally. And I can't make you do that. You're not going to show up in the right headspace if you are already combative and not in alignment with what we're trying to do. That takes building uh building some kind of common ground and common understanding where you feel comfortable to show up in that space and go through the learning journey another um principle is uh septima poinsettia clark she has this quote and it's like we need to be taught to study rather than what to believe i may have butchered it a bit but basically that's like a core tenet that drives my education and training like we are going to learn together because i didn't walk in on the first day of like my African-American studies class, which deeply impacted my view of the world. And my professor said, this is what you know, this is what you don't, you're right, you're wrong. Here's the list of things, memorize it all. It's like, we went on a journey. We like analyzed movements and individuals and, and books. And we, we learned together and came to our own conclusions. We even had debates on, you know, sometimes I'd be on the side where I'm like, I know I'm debating the wrong thing that I'm not in alignment with, but it challenged me to see things from another perspective and to learn what my connection is to this work outside of someone telling me what it is like that's a cult like no one needs to i'm not going to get in the front of the room everyone right hand on your heart i am an anti-racist i hate being white like that's not what's happening <laughs> in these spaces right i grew up and yeah. i had enough of that <laughs> yeah that's fair i i mean it, it is it is what is being painted though unfortunately you know when i when i see especially like on fox news they try to make it out to seem as though like that these trainings are you know just trying to indoctrinate people into hating themselves for being white i i think on msnbc msnbc and cnn they're using it as like oh this is this is why democrats are failing right now we're focusing too much <laughs> on race like we're focusing too much on this and I, I think personally that that's just because like they're just failing in general and they want to scapegoat, yeah. you know, for something. But uh, here's my final question to you. For people who are constantly attacking this, I, I, what is your thoughts along like, wh why do you think that they're doing that? Like, like, what do you think their motivation is? Like these people in the media who keep relentlessly attacking this work? Well, there's a couple things, right? When we think about 
being indoctrinated. It's interesting how they say that we're trying to do the opposite, that we're trying to indoctrinate folks when largely anti-racism, diversity, equity, inclusion work is trying to undo an indoctrination that has happened to most United States residents, right? We yeah. went through the US public school system and they're like very, very intentional to have civil rights photos in black and white, right? To make it feel like it was a super long time ago. We never talked in depth about the system and of slavery or colonialism, how it impacts us today. It just was like this piece of history that kind of existed over there, right? And all these like white dudes were like really, really mm -hmm. awesome and created the best nation on the earth and equal opportunity for everybody and like we never talk about the dirt underneath the rug right? right and so what this work is is like we're lifting that and saying like actually actually you shoved it all underneath here and we have to like get it out of here acknowledge that it's here and clean it up asap and what that does is it challenges power structures and dynamics in the united states in a like deeply impactful way right because if we're looking at race as a social as a racial hierarchy right that's how it is it was formed for this purpose right and to center whiteness above all other races right as the norm as the dominant uh, uh race then to say, okay, that was intentional. Look at all this harm that was caused because this was the belief. And we were also taught to believe this as people of color, as white folks, and not see people as human, that we have this deep um, disparate, like belief, like it's this deep disconnect between who we think we are, right? Like as Americans, we believe everybody's equal. I'm colorblind, I don't care versus like how we actually behave and how our systems are structured. And we have to challenge that. Challenging that means creating an imbalance of power where white folks are no longer the more dominant culture or uh, the dominant race, right? We're looking, our goal is equality. I want equality. To get equality, we need equity. We need equity to get us there so we can create these super imbalanced conditions and create that equality to get there takes equity, right? And so it challenges who has power, who has access to power, who has access to, uh, to jobs, who has access to wealth, the generational wealth, who has access to even clean, like clean drinking water, access uh, to, uh, to safe places as climate change uh, continues to destroy communities, right? And so, and also, I think another reason why we're seeing it, especially now, of course, with Black Lives Matter movement and all of these pieces, is because what is it in 2045, people of color will become the majority um, racial group in the United States. So I think we see a really big uh, push that, you know, now white supremacist, white nationalism that used to be real, real fringe is like not nearly as fringe as it used to be at all. It actually is, it's not even like fringe at all. It is quite literally in the core of, of the right at this point in time, right? And so what we're seeing is those same tenants, if you're like studying white nationalism, white supremacist movements, they want a white ethno state. They want, uh, they actually want a race war. They want a huge race war and they want to have that power again. There's, and it varies from group to group. Some want, you know, uh, some groups want of complete eradication of people of color. They don't want to rule them. They don't want them near them. Other folks say, uh, you know, 
go back to the way it was, have that ruling, separation, uh, segregation, uh, maybe a splitting of the nation, right? So that it varies as you look at different groups. However, at the core of that is maintaining power and control. DEI, anti-racism challenges all of that power and control. It challenges uh, the opportunities that they feel their children will have because their children won't have those opportunities by stepping on other people's necks. They will actually have to take a fair shot at it like everybody else, right? A black person won't have to work 10 times as hard. There will be an equal footing for everyone uh, to kind of like begin this race and begin their lives. So I think it's scary. Like it's scary to have a huge change. Um, it challenges who you have been told that you are, whether through your generations of we're this kind of family and we believe in these things, um, who you've told yourself that you are, who the media tells you you are. Um, uh, like it, it just challenges your whole worldview on, on all sides, on all sides, whether you're being told you're inferior, you're being told you're superior. It's just one comes with more benefits than the other. Very true. Very well said. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I really do appreciate it. Where can people uh, find out more about you and your company online? Yeah, sweet. So you can go to my website. It's uh, coequityconsulting.com. No hyphen or anything like that. And or you can go to my Instagram, just Michelle Cox. Um, you can find coequity on there. We're, we're twerking through, through what that page would look like. Um, and on Facebook at Michelle Cox, also LinkedIn, just Michelle Cox. All right. For those who are interested, those links will be in the episode description. So go ahead and click in there now and you will see those links. I want to thank again, my guests for coming on this week and for everyone else. That is all for today. We will see you in the next episode. If you liked this episode, please go ahead and share it on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, tag Independent Thought. We will see you in the next one. Take care. Bye, y'all. Thanks.